Welcome to GodPod. This is a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre, based in St Melitus College, which is a community of people studying and teaching Christian theology here in the UK and around the world. Graham Tomlin, Mike Lloyd and the occasional guest join me, Jane Williams, in discussing God, life, theology, in fact, just about anything. Welcome everyone to uh, another edition of GodPod and it's uh, the familiar home team today. We have uh, myself, Graham Tomlin, uh, always uh, around to host these uh, conversations. We have Jane Williams as well. We do. So, uh, and we also have Michael Lloyd and uh, it's great to have Mike with us too today. It's very good to be with you. And uh, I'd be good to tell where you are. I'm in my house in Twickenham um, because of course, we're all still in sort of sort of lockdown or we're at whatever stage of lockdown we are. And so uh, we are in our house in Twickenham, looking out over my garden, looking at my screen. And um, so Jane, where are you today? I'm in Cambridge. Um, uh, and uh, yes, looking out at a college garden that is not quite as well manicured as it would be if the gardeners were still around. Are you the gardener at the moment, Jane? Um, which is why it's not very well manicured. Yeah. <laughs> But what, I, what I think you mean is that you're making it more of a wildlife garden. Exactly, yes. It's, um, it's no. a d- deliberate policy, Co- correct. Exactly. <laughs> so, Michael, where are you now today? Um, I am uh, in my study in Oxford. It's, it's, I heard somebody on the BBC recently welcoming people to the BBC, the Bedroom Broadcasting <laughs> Club. <laughs> and it's a bit like that, only this is the Study Broadcasting yeah. Club. Well, exactly. So just to reassure people, we're not actually meeting in person here. We are in distance, uh, more than two metres apart. We've got a lot of miles apart, uh, London, Cambridge and Oxford. But anyway, we can still have our conversation of a God pod. And um, uh, today, I guess it's uh, the topic that everyone's talking about right now. This, when you turn onto the news, there's really only one thing that um, you ever come across, which is the coronavirus. And uh, we are and I'm not sure how many weeks we are into lockdown at the moment, but it's still something that we are pondering and thinking and trying to adjust to. Uh, and uh, those of you who are listeners to GodPod on a regular basis uh, might well have already listened to the one that we, uh, the last edition, which was with uh, Bishop Sarah Mullally, uh, reflecting on some of the issues around the church and some of the medical issues that are uh, around with this. But we wanted to, to go on thinking a little bit about um, the coronavirus, and particularly um, relating to, uh, and it's great to have Mike on the call today, because one of the reasons why uh, he wasn't able to be on the last call was because uh, Mike himself was a victim of the virus um, and uh, went down with it in so the early days. So Mike, we are really so delighted to have you uh, back with us again and um, just wondered whether you wanted to um, maybe describe the gory details and how it was. And, and, um, well, limit um, the gory details if you don't yeah, mind. Okay, I'll, I'll limit the, the, the gory bits. Um, uh, but well, it was it was a fairly classic trajectory, really fairly similar to um, Boris's in the sense that uh, I had a cough and a um, very small fever for a week, very mild symptoms. Uh, I was carrying on working but remotely, uh, actually chairing committee meetings about the coronavirus at at, uh, Wycliffe and uh, trying to get the place ready for that. Just uh, like Boris Johnson. Self-isolate. Sorry? Just like Boris Johnson then. Very like Boris Johnson. Um, The only thing I wasn't, is that I wasn't eating. And uh, I just 
because of the fever, I just thought it was a fever and uh, wasn't eating. And eventually after about 10 days, my wife said, looked at me and said, you look emaciated, we're gonna do something. And um, so she made telephone calls and I got taken into hospital, put on oxygen. I was never on a ventilator, but I was, I was on oxygen and uh, I was in there for about five days. And then um, came out, was wonderfully looked after by Abby and uh, I've been kind of slowly recovering ever since. But they warned me when I came out that it would be slow and it has been very slow. It's now well, about nine weeks since I came out and uh, I just got over the cough, but um, still got shortness of breath, still have to do breathing exercises. Yeah. It's been a bit of a scary experience, wasn't it, at the time? Um, not particularly for me, for, for two reasons. One is, I think I was too ill to know how ill I was. Um, and certainly, and this is not a kind of meritorious thing at all, I just don't do fear particularly. I think there's something missing in the, in the brain um, because it just doesn't really happen. But I, I think it was for those around me, yes, I think. I mean, and the statistics are mildly scary. About 40% of those who go into a hospital don't come out of it alive with, with the coronavirus. And so I think statistically it was... Um, a close run thing. It sounds as though the breathing, the, the, the difficulty of breathing sounds a really horrible experience. Um, to be honest, it, it not for me. Mm. I, it was, I think, for those around me again, because it was actually the doctor, a doctor on a phone who noticed that I had a breathing problem before I did. Mm. Um, so no, it's, it's not been, for me, a scary experience particularly. I was aware that I'm, you know, it's possible I might die. I never actually thought I did, but that might be because, as I say, I was too ill to know how ill I was. Um, but, uh, but it certainly was for those around me and those looking after me. Yeah, well, Mike, I'm sure every Godpod listener as well would also say we are just delighted that you're you come through it and you're here with us today and um looking my, my colleagues uh, at Wycliffe are having to face the awful reality that I might pull <laughs> through <laughs> I'm sure that's with it somehow <laughs> they're, they're bearing it bravely yes fighting <laughs> <laughs> it well <laughs> they are sounds as though it's a good job you had somebody who was noticing what 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 was happening to you sounds like it's a good job you're married <laughs> it's just very good very good thing uh, that I married, and um, that's absolutely right. I think I um, was quite passive in the whole thing. I just thought, oh, well, I'm not feeling very well. I hope it gets better, mm -hmm. kind of thing. Because by and large, fevers do. That's what, you know, you have a fever for a couple of days and it goes. Mm -hmm. And I had this and it didn't. Um, yeah. And I think finally, actually somebody say, no, you need to, we need to do something about this. This mm -hmm. can't go on. Um, you're going to waste away. Mm. Uh, and me being off food is very unusual. Very unusual. Yes, that yeah, really worried me when Abby told me that. <laughs> a strange taste in food, but, you know, you always eat it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. And I didn't lose my taste. That's that's good. That's good. Well, look, on, on GodPod, we um, we always manage to sort of turn everything to theology at the, mm -hmm. the end of the day. And um, I guess one of the things we wanted to reflect on today was... Uh, um, I mean, not just your experience, Mike, but the experience that many people are going through, both both of the illness, but also but what it's doing to our our social life um, together, and, and what are some of the 
the sort of theological sort of thoughts or reflections that we're having as we go through uh, this period. And maybe a, a way to frame that would be, um, I guess, this, the simple question, where, where, where do we see God in all of this? Um, there have been all kinds of um, opinions, theories about uh, whether it's <coughs> God's will for us and is it, is it part of his plan? Uh, is it a judgment sent by God upon us? So, you know, what do we think of those things? Uh, where do we see God at, 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 in, at, in this um, experience that we're going through uh, right now? I mean, it may be something you want to reflect on, Mike, in terms of seeing God in your experience of going through it. Or again, Jane, um, observing that and other friends and people and, and so on. So, I mean, what are your what have been the kind of thoughts that have been uppermost in your mind over the past few weeks and months? Well, I mean, <laughs> mine, I guess, was actually more kind of personal thing about when, when you facing death um, like that, even though I didn't think it was probable, but I obviously had to face the fact that it was possible. Um, and there were two things I think that stood out. One was um, concern for those who love me, um, which I'm was pleased to discover is a, is a set of members more than zero. So that's, that's, <laughs> um, and, and the other thing was kind of concerned about my legacy, really, and you know, all the kind of books I haven't written and the things I haven't done. And I, I've actually found that quite challenging to think through because I don't think it's a very good category. Um, it's a bit self-regarding. It's my legacy rather than, and I think it can be a kind of an attempt at a self-generated immortality. Mm. Um, I want to leave something that will remind people forever of me kind of thing. Um, mm. And it's a bit grandiose. Uh, and I think actually the kind of William Carey attempt great things for God is, is fine as long as you expand the category of great things not just to great works of music or to great theological tomes or great projects, because um, we're not all J.S. Bach's or William Carey's, uh, but to expand the great things to include the category of you know, being a faithful husband or wife, uh, doing a good job at work, the kind of George Herbert who sweeps a room as for thy sake, makes that in the action fine. It, it, Legacy is, is very grand and slightly pompous, and actually just being faithful uh, is, yeah. is, is a great thing. It is not so much a legacy, but uh, a self-gift, I guess. Yes, I was reflecting on that because I had a, a good friend of mine a number of years ago, my, my best man, in fact, who um, very sadly died of, of cancer, and, I, and we were quite close to him during the time of his... Um, his uh, progress towards death. He spent the last week. Actually, we were on holiday when he when he fell really ill, and, um, uh, and I remember talking to him around that time. And he kind of knew that death was around the corner. And I remember him saying, "You know, the, the thought that kept on coming back to him is, is had he been kind in his life?" And it was an interesting question because uh, he actually had a very successful career as a diplomat. He'd been an ambassador in various countries, and um, you know, in worldly terms, he had been a very successful person but you know, actually when it when he came to that those last moments the question that was prompted predominant in his mind was actually about was about what kind of person have i been um which actually struck me as a is, is a good question to ask and he was asking it as a, as, a, as a christian and i think that reflects a little bit of what you're saying mike that when that when you're face to face with that and that's maybe one of the things that's going on in this 
this um, coronavirus period is that we are having to face death in a way that we don't normally do. Uh-huh. Death has the capacity to, to focus attention upon what really matters and what, and what doesn't matter and filters out those things and actually at the end of the day aren't that important because the reality is that the books that we've all written probably in 50 years time no one's going to be reading them anyway there'll be a, there aren't many books that actually get written much much you know 50 to 100 years after um their the lifetime of their authors no they tend to be remaindered far before <laughs> that yeah, pretty quickly exactly that's right i suppose it is one of the things um that uh, people expect Christians to um, not really mind about death. I, I mean, I suppose there are different attitudes to, to death in Christian traditions, aren't there? Uh, one is that um, we know that nothing can separate us from the love of God, Christ Jesus, so there should be no fear of death. Um, but there is also Jesus's own, the, the, the sight of Jesus in Gethsemane really not wanting to die. And, and the sense that, that also within the Christian tradition is the sense that death is an alien affront. Um, yes. Uh, and, um, and how we actually help people um, to process not just their, not just attitudes to their own death, but attitudes to the death of people that they love, attitudes to, uh, a lot of people are facing, um, uh, coming closer to death than they've ever had to come before in, in um, developed countries um, on a regular basis. And it's, um, uh, so what what is what are your wisdom, you great church leaders, about how to help people um, reflect well? I, I do love that idea that of reflecting on have I been kind, and and but the problem is what if you haven't, or if you're not sure, um, <laughs> you know you've been a bit kind sometimes and not very kind at other yeah. times, which is the truth for most of us, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, I mean I think. Uh, death is remembering that death is enemy in christian theology because actually that's how it's experienced by most people uh the death of particularly the death of somebody they love Mm. even if not their own death um and jesus at the tomb of lazarus always is just a fixed point for me you know this is he presumably knows he's about to raise him to life and yet he's he's saddened and angry and upset uh, at the very fact of death. Um, there's something abnormal, something wrong, and our part of our calling is to attack it, to, to resist it, to ameliorate it where we can't defeat it uh, temporally. Um, that's why the hospital movement started. Christians have always felt that death was the enemy. It's a defeated enemy, we have hope in the face of it, but we are called to do what we can to fight and resist it. And Jesus. Yeah, I've been reflecting on it a bit because my, um, my, sadly my, my own mother passed away just about a month ago, just a, uh, towards the end of April, um, not, not of the virus, but, um, uh, and in many ways it was as about as good a death as you can think of. She was 95, she'd lived a long full life. She was, she had a very strong faith in Christ. Um, at the end, she was able to live in her own house, house till, just three days before she died, the end was relatively painless. Um, uh, so um, in many ways, it was as, as good a death as you could think of. But there was still this, this sense of, of, of sort of tragedy and sadness about it. it you, you weren't able to say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good thing. Um, even at that stage, even at, you know, at the fullness of life and, um, uh, and so on. Now, obviously, it was 
com complicated a little bit by the virus not being able to go down to be present, uh, not actually even being able to be at the funeral because we have our daughter with, who's pregnant here staying with us. Um, so we had to going to be um, careful about um, going out of the, of the home. And so, and I think that's one of the other things at the moment, having to kind of, you know, some of your emotions blunted by not being able to engage with it in quite the way. Um, but it did strike me that sense that even as good a death as that, that was, there was still something alien about it, something that should not be. Um, and um, and still something that brings tears and, and grief and, and sadness, even the best of deaths bring that. Because, I mean, Jesus uh, describes himself as the resurrection and the life, doesn't he? I am uh, not as, uh, so that, that characteristic of God, of utter vitality, um, is, is one of those things that, again, when we're thinking about death, that makes death seem... Um, uh, almost outside the providence of God. And again, you don't want to say that, do you? You don't want to say that, because as Mike says, death is defeated. Death is now um, uh, something that uh, God has gone into in order to be able to meet us even there. Um, but that doesn't make it, um, it doesn't make it right or natural, does it? It makes it a place where, uh, which is not to be um, feared in quite the same kind of way, because we know that God has, gone there so that we can find we can meet God even through death but um sorry I'm getting very inarticulate no I, I think it's very articulate but I, I think the problem with death is it ruptures relationship mm. that's the sadness of it that's the wrongness of it um and you can't communicate uh, anymore with, with that person that that's and that is tragic and I think one of the things we've learned from lockdown is we are fundamentally relational people and it's awkward, it's difficult, it's painful, even when you have the joys of Zoom or whatever uh, as compensation, there's something that, and it stops us from being fully ourselves because we are relational beings and death is that all the more. Yeah. Um, Jane, you, you mentioned the word um, providence a moment ago. Um, and I suppose that's a theme I've been thinking about a fair bit and you know that, that as Christians, you know, we, we believe that that life is and history is governed not not so much by fate by some kind of impersonal design that everything goes along and that we have that has no particular regard for us uh, we don't believe that the world is governed entirely by chance by um, merely random uh, events but we, we we do have this doctrine of providence that the christian church has always held to and um uh, one of the books i, I turned to in the recent weeks was uh, robinson crusoe um, I thought he, that might have something to say to us about lockdown and being isolated <laughs> on your own for a while. So I've been so you've been killing goats and that kind of thing, have you? That's exactly. Yeah, yeah. Any goat wandering anywhere near Twickenham is a real danger. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and it's one of the things that struck me about it. You know, in 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 Robinson Crusoe, there's a lot about providence. You know, he sees something of the providence of God in everything that happens to him, and even in this disaster of being sort of. Um, washed up on this desert island, he sees the providence of God and the provision of the goats and everything else that, that, he, that he has for us. So I was, I was just wondering what your thoughts were on uh, reflecting on this doctrine of providence and what it means, particularly in the context of what we're going through at the moment, the virus, the reality of death. Uh, is that included within the providence of God? In what sense is it included within God's providence? And how do you think about that? I think it's a matter partly of what providence is not 
it's not saying that everything that happens is the will of God. Um, or directly engineered by God. Or directly engineered by God. Um, otherwise, he'd be responsible for sin um, as well as for suffering. Uh, death comes into it, it seems to me, because death is, death, if you like, is an undoing of life. Yes. And whereas if God is the one who is the source of life, it's very hard to think of God as the one who both gives life and, uh, and undoes life, and that sort of undoes his own creation, as it were. Um, sorry, I interrupted you there. No, no, I, I, I think that's exactly right. Um, and a, a lot of pastoral damage is done, I think, by um, getting, trying to force people to think that what's happened is good somehow, and actually it isn't. And when somebody's lost someone through the coronavirus or anything else, um, they they can't twist their mind in such a way as to say, "Oh, this is a good thing." Um, and and we need to be quite clear that it's a bad thing. God's against it, and He will ultimately undo it. And what providence means is not that God always gets His way, but that nothing separates us from Him and His love, and nothing terminates the love the, the love is actually going to outlast all, all the pain and all the suffering and all the sin um, it is the durable thing and the strong thing in the end so uh, do you think that's, that's right that the, the difficulty of that i mean i can see that the pastoral um advantages of, of arguing for a kind of divine micromanagement of every event because you can see how that would you say, well, no, you know, nothing is outside the control of God. Everything is sent by God, and therefore it's it's okay. Um, and you can see why pastorally that's quite sort of attractive in, in many ways. I guess the the difficulty with it is that it does lead you to say that everything ultimately is basically good, even though it doesn't seem that way. Um, that everything is all right, and actually, a lot of the Bible seems to say, no, no, everything is not all right. Um, the world is not the way it should be. Um, it's not that everything is working towards some sort of you know. It's not that everything is is um, part of a kind of intricate divine uh, plan. There's there's something else we can say, which is that God is working towards and will bring about His purposes in the end, and that seems to me at the heart of what providence is about. It's saying that both through the events that are God's will and those that are not, He's able to work through both of those to bring about His will uh, within the world. But what Some, it, isn't saying that. is that sort of divine micromanagement of everything. Sorry, Graham, interrupting you. I mean, something that I've found quite helpful. Um, again, reflecting on the cross and the resurrection is that um, what happens with the resurrection is the meaning of the cross is changed. So what looks like, um, and, in, and humanly speaking, is the end of a good man, the end of a, um, a, a, a beautiful um, description of our relationship with God, um, and, and yet more proof that human beings are vile. If if Jesus's life ends on the cross and that's it, then it's just another tragic story, isn't it? But God says that's okay. That's what happens humanly speaking, and then God acts, and and that completely changes the meaning of the death of Jesus. So that in the hands of God, um, this act of human evil and and rejection becomes um, a way of, of life and God drawing even closer to us, if that were possible. Um, so it's, it's, so God's providence is, is, is it, is, it, is this helpful? God's providence is partly um, that, uh, that God always um, is, is turning the story around so that we can never say that's what it meant 
and that's the end of it. We have to wait and see what God is going to do with it. And so one of the things we have noticed in this coronavirus is, is, is um, God bringing out stories of kindness, stories of longing to be together, stories of community um, that tell a different narrative from this uh, narrative of a, um, a world-threatening epidemic um, uh, which is going to devastate communities, all of which will that will be part of the story, but it won't be the whole of the story if God is, as we believe, uh, the one who creates real meaning. Does that begin to I make think, sense? I think it's really, really helpful, Jane. And, uh, and it's as if the, the cross and resurrection is the template for our understanding of providence and, and, and how we see God at work in other, in other situations. Refusing to allow the negative, the, the sinful, the painful, the cruel, to be the final determinator of um, the meaning of anything or anyone. Um, and I agree, part of providence is God is continuing to work, but it calls us to be part of you know, his agents in bringing about his purposes rather than the purposes of cruelty, of oppression, of injustice, of, of whatever. Um, and I think we see that happening in around us, human beings displaying their their good their calling as well to be the agents of God's creativity and resourcefulness and love. And if that is true that the the resurrection redefines the meaning of the cross, it does say that there is nothing through which God cannot work to do His purposes. Exactly. If if even the cross of Jesus Christ, even the the killing of God by human beings, which is the worst thing we ever did. If even that can be turned around to be somehow the means of salvation, the means of a transformation, then there's actually nothing that, that, that we go through that cannot be used by God in that same way. Again, it doesn't drive us back to saying those things are good, but it does say that they are things um, that can be redeemed and transformed by the presence and the action of God within them. Which is why I find it... Um... And I don't know what to make of the people who are asking, is this God's judgment on us? Is this, um, it, has God sent this to punish us in some way? Um, because that does seem to me not to be talking about the God who raises Jesus from the dead. Um, uh, I, I mean, is it, is it Michael Ramsey who says God is Christ-like and in him there is no un-Christ-likeness at all? Um, John Taylor, wasn't it? John Taylor, I think. Was yeah. it? Um, yeah. and uh, and that has to be the measure doesn't it if if this is how God acts in Christ who is his full who is a full revelation of the nature of God then it's very unlikely that God's going to turn around the next minute and act in a completely different kind of way if the cross of Christ instead of being our judgment becomes the means by which God draws us closer um, then it's very unlikely the next minute God is going to say well that that, that was just that was just yesterday. Today, I'm going to be um, horrid and and judging. Does that? I I think I think that's very again very helpful. Um, and it's interesting that in the early church, um, when there's a some prophets say you know there's going to be a famine, the reaction of the early church is not to say and this is a point Tom Wright brings out in the book that he's produced on the, the pandemic. Um, is not to say, well, they must have been particularly witty, uh, not witty, wicked, 
in um, you might be particularly witty. <laughs> in my case, they're very similar concepts. But, um, they, they must be particularly wicked in uh, Judea or whatever. Um, so that's why they're getting clobbered. It's to raise money and take it for the relief of the saints there. Mm. Um, and and that needs to be the reaction of the church. It, it's wasting its time when it thinks, ah, well, what, what's, who's done what to make this happen? We should be using that energy to think, what can we do to help? Uh, what can we do to bring relief? And There's a thought that, um, I think I may have mentioned it in the last God pod, that um, that idea of judgment, the New Testament word for judgment is crisis, crisis, and we talked about this as a crisis, as a, as a nation, and uh, the, sense, the sense to which, you know, if, if there is a sense that this is a judgment, it's, it's a judgment in a sense that it's a crisis brought upon us which reveals certain things uh, about us and about our way of life and our, and our world. It seems to be significant that the, the great book of judgment in the Bible is called Revelation mm -hmm. because it reveals things. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, the revelation of events in the light of, of Christ. And um, so in some ways, it's, you know, I think what the virus, if you like, reveals more about us than it does about God. It doesn't tell us that God is some vindictive God who sends this terrible virus to kind of you know, punish us. Um, but it is revealing some things about us and the way we live. And to that extent, there, a proper response to it is a form of confession uh, of sins and repentance and looking at our way of life and thinking, what do we need to do differently? And I guess one of the questions that I think is right on the, and is really important for us to kind of address right now is, okay, what will we do differently as a result of this when we come out of virus, you know, in the new normal, as everybody calls it, if there is a new normal, what will be different? Or will we just go back to where we were before? Um, and, I, and I just wanted, in the, the light of that, just in the last few minutes of our discussion, what your observations and comments were on um, what um, the virus and, and lockdown has done to our, our social life, our relating to one another, our, you know, the predominance of sort of virtual communication as opposed to face-to-face. -face. What, what's your reflections again, theologically, on what this has done to our, uh, our ways of relating to one another over this time. I was listening to a pianist on Radio 3 recently, um, who said he had two observations about lockdown. Uh, one was gratitude for the electronic means of communication that meant he could not only speak to family and friends, but, but perform, play music um, for people's literally enjoyment. Um, but secondly, that it's absolutely no substitute for the real thing, and that everyone has discovered that it's absolutely no substitute for the real thing. Um, we are made as relational beings. We are physical beings, therefore physical proximity and touch and whatever are all part of, of who we are. And I think one of the things we need to do in response to this is to say, let's remember what we learnt about being human. Um, and one of those things is, is the primacy of relationality. And then let's let our diaries reflect that the other side of all this. But I, I mean, I, I absolutely agree with that. But I also think one of the things that, that has struck me, and I've, I've had several um, email conversations and things along these lines, is that for some people, um, this has meant um, relating in a more equal way than they've ever been able to before. Um, if you're stuck at home on your own, whether there's a virus or not a virus, 
then the fact that everybody else is stuck at home um, actually brings a sense of, okay, so now you understand what, what, what my daily life is like. Uh, for somebody with um, with severe dis disabilities or or something like that, somebody emailed me about that, saying that for the first time, everybody in her church is um, making an effort to reach out to you in your home. <laughs> uh, and so um, she was saying, uh, what would be lovely would be if after this, um, when people are allowed to visit each other again, wouldn't it be nice if somebody from the church came every Sunday? Um, and sat with me with a, a screen or something so that we could be in, in church together going forward. Uh, and I, I was just really struck about the fact that the kind of things that a lot of us simply take for granted as necessary and are not possible for all kinds of people. Have we, are we being given the chance to notice um, uh, and, and perhaps um, try to do something to, to make sure that we really are not leaving people out on the edge? Uh, when when and if we return to um, what we consider to be normality. I think one of the other things that one notices from how people have responded to lockout is the extraordinary creativity. People have found ways to be creative because they're human, because they're made in the image of the creator. They can't help it. Um, and all sorts of music and painting and artwork and whatever um, has just flowed from people. Again, that's something not a surprise because we're made in the image of the creator therefore we're creative we're made in the image of the trinity therefore we're relational um, and and the image of god is about equality as well so i'm not surprised in a sense that if that is one of the lessons that we learn from this experience um, my, my reflection on it has been about the relationship between our sort of kind of embodied selves and our sort of emotional selves. I mean, I was talking a little bit a while ago about um, my, 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 my mother dying and um, not being able to be present and not being able to, you know, watching the funeral on a screen, um, being at a distance. Um, but even if I had been there, you know, we wouldn't have been able to hug each other or do the kind of normal things you do at a, at a funeral. So in some ways, the, the emotional impact of it is blunted. It's, it's not quite there. And at the same time, you know, the last... Two weeks we've had um you know the joy of two grandchildren to born into our family uh, but again there's the sort of frustration there that you know on sunday night our little granddaughter was born up in liverpool but we're not able to travel up there and be with her and hold her and and all of that so you know the, the same emotional stimuli are there but without the, the the physical ability to express it you know just by a hug or by a sort of um by a sort of being physically present just sort of dulls the um uh, the kind of emotional power of those of those things and uh, so it just brings you back to the, you know, we are you know, one, but our sort of emotions, our bodies are all kind of bound up together in the way we're made. And there's a, there's a kind of, there's a real sense of loss in what we have at the moment. You know, it's, it's, it's wonderful that we do have the, the, uh, the technology to be able to connect with each other, but it, it, but it does you know, sort of hold us back from something, which I think brings back to Jane's point about how important it is we've suddenly realised that for many, many people, this is their life. Um, if you're elderly or if you're disabled and you're in, at home, uh, an awful lot of the time on your own without that ability to, to have the full connection with others, how important it is when this comes out that we enable people to find that same um, you know, physical connection of people just simply be, being with each other um, in whatever ways we can. But... And without wanting to um, deny any of that, because I think that's so, so true, I have also found myself just profoundly grateful to believe in the Holy Spirit who can hug my daughter when I can't. Um, well, obviously not physically, but um, but that, that that really there isn't anything that 
can separate us in Christ Jesus. So that that depth of connection um, and it is still there and the longing to express it physically is obviously human. That's we are embodied and, uh, and meant to be. Um, but also, um, I think for me in this period, the, the idea of the communion of saints has meant more than ever before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and the reality of the church, which is, you know, a supernatural thing, not just um, the group of us who meet on a Sunday. And I or, do think, or don't, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> That's right, because I, I do think, I mean, we're recording this sort of just before Ascension leading up to Pentecost. Um, we'll be thinking about the, the, um, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And, and again, I've been re- reflecting quite a lot on that as the, the church is held together. The unity of the church is the unity of the spirit. Uh, and even when we're not able to physically be present to one another, there is a, still a unity that can be found by being held together by the fact that we are indwelt by the same spirit. That that's what constitutes our, our unity, which means that actually, even when we're not able to be present, and obviously this is not the only time the church hasn't been able to be present under times of persecution, uh, under times of warfare, the church has often had to kind of find ways to connect one another, that, that the essential kind of, you know, what constitutes the church is the presence of the spirit. Um, that holds the church together even at times when we're not able to be present with each other uh, and to gather uh, in gather physically and that becomes a really more important doctrine than ever it seems to me right at the moment well we've um, reached probably the end of our time um it's uh, been another hopefully not oh i see you mean time <laughs> in, in this particular recording yes Talking about death. <laughs> no we haven't quite reached the end of our time we're very glad you didn't reach the end of your yeah. time Mike. Well, you're very kind you're very kind Good. Anyway, it's great to be together again, even over Zoom, and um, uh, good to be, to feel in some way kind of sort of connected to those of you listening to this, because um, I suppose this, uh, this era of remote communication makes us um, uh, be reminded of the con- connections we have with people uh, via technology as well as just in person. So for all of those of you listening, thank you very much for your, um, your uh, engagement with this, your questions you send in, please do keep them coming in to the, um, uh, the uh, the email address and um, I'm sure we will be back again with another God pod uh, before too long so it's goodbye from me and also from me and also from me Godpod, a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try.